From the New Orleans Convention Center in Louisiana, this is the ASN Kidney Week 2017 podcast, a discussion of the latest scientific and clinical advances presented at this year's annual meeting. Uh, good afternoon, and welcome to day three of Kidney Week 2017. This is Eleanor Letterer again, and today I am joined by three more of my colleagues to discuss the events of the day. Can you all please introduce yourselves for our listeners? I'm Martin Pollack. I'm uh, Chief of Nephrology at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in, in Boston, Massachusetts. And I'm Richard Coward. I'm a professor of renal medicine from Bristol in the UK, and I'm a pediatric nephrologist. I'm David Kinnair. I'm a second-year nephrology fellow at Vanderbilt. Excellent, excellent. Uh, thanks again to all of you for participating. Let's start with you, Dr. Pollack. As the winner of this year's Homer Smith Award, was there anything particularly noteworthy that you saw during the meeting today? Well, I th- I th- a lot of things were that were interesting. Um, it, w- it was nice to see some terrific people recognized this morning uh, as honorees. The various awards that pre- were presented by the American Society of Nephrology to some very worthy people. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Feinberg's talk on epigenetics was very interesting and. Mm-hmm and well presented and illustrates how important it is to try to make the, always make the connection between what's going on in the basic sciences and the clinical world and kind of introduce these concepts to a broad, broad audience. And then a lot of interesting posters that I saw this afternoon. Um, I mean, too many to go through in detail, but a lot of interesting things. And one of the subjects of interest to me, which APOL1 associated kidney disease, it's been a lot of progress and a lot of exciting, exciting insights. And you know, it's always interesting to see when people you don't know and come up with new ideas, new out of the box thoughts and experiments that have the potential to transform and move the field and move things in new directions. It's always exciting. Um, I just heard uh, two nice talks, one from Stuart Shankland, another Jeffrey Kopp on podocyte biology. I I left early so I could get over here to uh, participate in this little podcast session, but a lot of interesting and varied things today. Uh, Of course, it's impossible to get to all of what you want to see at such a large meeting, but um, it's been an interesting day. Well, it sounds like you made the rounds, though. <laughs> I tried. I tried. I tried. So, um, yeah, I think it's been another excellent day at the ASN. Um, I think the thing I really like about it is that you can come from all over the world and have your different interests, and you can always find something that's going to be new and cutting edge. Um, we were talking about it a bit earlier on that um, I've got a patient at the moment who's got primary hyperoxyluria type 1, incredibly rare, first time I've ever had a patient like this. And um, all you need to do is put it into the app. Um, and yesterday I went to see a late-breaking clinical trial, which was unbelievable, where they're basically using effectively um, inhibitory RNA therapy on children mm-hmm. to try and bypass the, the liver defect. So this is early stage. They've done phase one and phase two, two early stages, uh, and it's going to the next stage now, which will hopefully go to our patients. And you know, you could see it really changing changing their outlook and for the, for the children that I look after and this particular child I could see would be really really relevant. It's also really nice as, again as we were discussing earlier on that it brings people from all over the world to the ASN so um, this work's been produced by people in Israel, people in France, people in the UK and presented here in America so yeah it was really good, excellent. 
I think that's a, just an absolutely wonderful example of how the field is moving forward and that sometimes the rest of us don't hear about it. And that's a major advance. That's a major advance, you know, for a disease that causes kidney failure very rapidly in a very young person and can recur. Absolutely. Can recur, you know, in a transplanted kidney and so many times actually is not really diagnosed appropriately. Well, you're absolutely right, and that's very similar to the patient that I'm looking after now. And this, this was a child who was, came to four months of age in end-stage renal failure with a blood pressure of over 200 millimetres of mercury. Um, and it took, it took us a while to get to the diagnosis, and then we eventually got the diagnosis. And I d we're going to have to see what happens, but you can see that it's going to potentially revolutionise this kind of therapy. And it's all completely new biology, you know, thinking about going in and inhibiting RNA to go and bypass a kind of defect in the liver. So I've been coming to the ASM for about the last 10 years or so, and each time you see something new and something exciting, and that, that's definitely going to be my take home from this meeting, I think. For me, um, as a younger trainee, and this being actually my first ASN, there's been so much that I've really enjoyed. Today in particular, I really, of course, enjoyed the morning session, the late poking clinical trials. That was really exciting and wonderful for me to see as a younger trainee advances that are happening. There was another session that I really enjoyed that was actually occurring at the same time, so I didn't catch all of it, but it was about shared decision-making and different types of dialytic modalities and the science behind decision-making, um, which was a really interesting way to look at patient-centered care and make it very meticulous. So uh, I particularly enjoyed that session this morning. And then again, for me as a fellow, today it was really nice because I got to connect with other fellows in the community's lounge and meet people from around the world, including in other disciplines such as pediatrics. <laughs> I met several peds nephrology fellows and it was just really wonderful to see young people who are passionate and excited about the field. And I think it bodes really well for the future. And lastly, I have to say I really enjoyed your talk that was earlier today. Um, I haven't gotten to see it before, so this is my first time hearing it. And what I liked the most is that you were so open and kind of vulnerable, and it was very refreshing to hear your personal path that you've undergone, and it was a wonderful talk. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. The, uh, the late-breaking clinical trials, of course, are always, you know, a very popular feature. This is, uh, and uh, I did not myself have the chance to go attend it, but walked by the audience and uh, the, or the room, and the audience looked huge. It looked like it was it was it was virtually full. So, yes. uh, you know, happy to see that. This year, we actually received a very large number of Lake Blakeman clinical trial abstracts, and for the first time, really had some a diff difficulty. You know, <laughs> having to decide which ones to present and which ones in in oral form and which ones to present uh, in, in poster form. Mm. So I think just uh, picking up the theme of things that are completely new. So uh, the hyperoxyluria story, mm -hmm. very, very exciting. Was there anything else that any of you guys saw that you thought, wow, this is way out there? That's a difficult question. You know, so, well, I mean, so let me, let me just reframe it a little bit then. Mm. Um, think about your particular area of interest. You know, is there anything that you heard in this meeting that you thought to yourself, you know, this is at least a major advance or this is the beginning of an advance that I can see coming up and maybe being even a bigger story later? So maybe not along those lines, but something that's definitely, so I'm a paediatric nephrologist, but my research interest is into, happens to be into diabetic nephropathy and insulin signaling to the kidney. 
Um, and I think what a major advance which we heard at ASN a couple of years ago was the SGLT2 inhibitors. So this year we've had a session which is completely a whole session of invited or abstracts that were presented, oral abstracts and an expert talk. So we had a whole two hours on SGLT2 inhibitors. And I think that's really good because you could see where the field has got to in this short period of time. And I think the take-home messages from the way I got it was that they seem pretty safe, so I think there's potential there with them. Um, there's still more work to be done to see which way they're going to go. And what I think is really interesting, which hopefully at the ASN next year or the year afterwards, is trying to work out the mechanism by which they work. I don't think we know how they work at the moment, and hopefully that'll get broken maybe next year or the year afterwards. So although they're safe, they look really pretty good for the patients, pretty well tolerated. Um, I think we still need to do some work on working out exactly how they work because that may lead to, to other therapies which are absolutely needed in you know, diabetic kidney disease because leading cause of kidney failure in the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I remember it was just a few years ago, I think, that Ernie Wright actually got up and gave a talk on um, you know, how they had identified the transporter, mm -hmm. SGLT2, and then, you know, just the journey took from identifying, cloning, and studying the transporter then to the development of an inhibitor that now, of course, we have a whole slew of them, mm -hmm. you know, that are coming out uh, into <coughs> clinical use. So uh, just to pursue that a little bit further, um, I guess simplistically you could say the SGLT2 inhibitors, they work because they block glucose transport. So what you're saying is that you're thinking that maybe there's a bit more to it yeah, than I just you know, losing glucose in the urine. So we know that it can independently reduce the decline of renal function, independent of reducing your blood glucose and increasing your insulin sensitivity. So there's got to be a renal effect, I think is clear. Um, what is it? Is it, we know that you drop your GFR in the first few weeks when you go on an SGLT2 inhibitor and that obviously will decrease your amount of albumin in your ear, which could lead to it. I don't think we really understand, is it a lack of maybe sugar and salt going through the tubules and it's actual tubular toxicity that you're protecting against? Or is it feedback going back from the tubular maybe to the juxtaglomerular apparatus and reducing, I don't know, the load on the, on the glomerulus? So I still think there is quite a lot to be done. And you know, has it got any other targets as well? I think will be interesting in years to come. It's, I th yeah, I think it's a really fascinating story. I mean, this, diabetic nephropathy is not my, my field as a nephrologist. I, of course, take care of people with diabetic nephropathy, but I just th it illustrates, I think, a few important points. One is the importance of basic science, you know, mm -hmm. clone, you know mm -hmm. I mean, cloning these, these transporters initially without any clear goal towards a therapy, um, just trying to understand how the kidney works. And now, years later, it's leading to one of the most, I think, interesting and remarkable advances in, in therapeutics. And also just the, f the fact that this therapeutic is having more interesting and perhaps broader effects than had been anticipated by most people, I think. I think. So both, you know, the importance of really basic science, science, you know, knowledge, science that exists just to understand the kidney at a basic yeah, the basic level is so important, even if the practical implications are not immediately clear, and the fact that you know we should be ex we should always expect the unexpected. You know, yeah, expect the unexpected. I like that because it's just <laughs> it's just so true. I mean, you Absolutely. think you understand, you, know, you think you know what's going to happen, 
and then it gets out in practice, and then something something else does happen. So, uh, so Deva, I, you know, I'm I'm pleased that you enjoyed that series on decision making mm -hmm. and the patient engagement, because for ASN, this represents really. Um, a, a different direction that we're going in. It's not that we never had any symposia or lectures on on topics like that, but they were pretty few and far between. I think we're incorporating more and more of that um, into the body um, of the meeting. Certainly as we have begun to engage more patients. As you know, this year we did have um, um, patient-centered conference. Kevin Fowler gave a nice talk. Um, so tell me how you think that maybe, you know, we could expand those types of venues. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it is really nice to see that, but I don't, I think it's a, there's a good way to kind of continue to have the basic science emphasis while incorporating these types of patient-centered outcome-related talks. I think they, they really go well together. One thing that I really liked this year that I think was new uh, were all the talks on qualitative research, which is um, a strong component of patient-centered outcomes and kind of understanding the, the rigorous methods that can be applied to qualitative research, which I myself am just learning about. Um, and I think making sure that there is the same amount of rigor that we know and apply to basic science and ensuring that that same type of rigor can be applied to things like qualitative research is, is really important. So I think continuing to have um, sessions that do involve real patients, patient advocates, um, people that are kind of across the spectrum of who takes care of patients. So in addition to physicians, maybe, you know, including more nurses, things like that. Everyone has kind of a different opinion on how they can create comprehensive patient-centered care. And I think hearing everyone's take on how we can kind of come together to do that in a really systematic and useful way would be really useful. So I think, I guess this was during one of the earlier clinical research sessions, that's when I, I got to hear this qualitative research talk. So having something like that in the future again I think would be really great because um, I, I didn't really expect that that was going to be included in the two-day clinical research course and I think I got a lot out of it. Great. That's fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. So um, anything else, you know, come to mind? Did any of you guys, after listening to Dr. Feinberg's talk today, mm -hmm. ask yourselves the question, you know, okay, so how is this going to apply to what I, I'm going to do? Yeah, I, I, as a geneticist, I think I've, I, I've probably ignored epigenetics too long, and I've <laughs> got to really educate myself better. That's that's the the, the broadest the broadest thing I got out of it. <laughs> so yeah, I absolutely, I think epigenetics are where it's at. So my research interest is diabetic kidney disease. We've we've tried really hard. There was a fantastic session yesterday talking about the genetics underlying diabetic nephropathy, Mark McCarthy, Matthias Kretzler and other people talking and what again the kind of take-home message there is there isn't there aren't any major genes coming out yeah. it's got to be it's got to be epigenetic modification in my book because you know the environments yeah, yeah. there with glucose insulin resistance and then the, the talk this morning was really good because you know crystallized all those different ways that you you're all you've got the same DNA code but the way it's expressed is different in different patients so it seems to me to make a lot of sense about the environment and I think diabetic kidney disease it's going to be really important it's my yeah. feeling yeah I mean the interest the, 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 I think that's a one of the most interesting unsolved questions in nephrology I mean what you know 
Why do some people with diabetes, in simplistically mm-hmm. stated, why do some people get nephropathy and others not? And it certainly doesn't seem like it's standard genetics mm-hmm. in a straightforward way. And uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think, I think what is good going forward is the, the big cohorts that we're getting in America and across Europe where I think you need big numbers. You need really big numbers to try and work out what's going on or to see whether we can start getting some signals out. So working together collaboratively. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm I'm English and um, I think our links with Europe are absolutely critical scientifically, so I really hope we don't lose any of those. Um, And I also think the links with America, Canada and around the world are really important for these massive issues, actually. Absolutely. Well, you know, more to come. If, If nothing else, the lecture this morning I think highlighted the fact that the answer isn't just in sequencing our chromosomes. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's just an awful lot more to it. I can hardly wait to hear the lecture on the chromatin structure. I mean, I hope, you know, at some point that's going to be the next thing uh, because I think that's very exciting as well. All right, well, I want to thank you guys very much for taking time out of your afternoon to come and do this podcast, do this (laughs) podcast. (laughs) and uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your time here in New Orleans. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. You have been listening to the ASN Kidney Week 2017 podcast. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Nephrology. Mm-hmm.